if you want to record, you can you can do that. <coughs> So I'll say just a few words about um, about myself, since we don't know each other, just to give you a little bit of a context. Strange-looking man appearing <laughs> in the hall. Um, so I'm currently doing the teacher training program here at Spirit Rock and IMS, and uh, I happen to be here at Spirit Rock right now with my teacher, Ajahn Suchitto, who's a senior monastic in the western branch of the Thai Forest Sangha. I've been traveling with him the last five weeks as his attendant, practicing and so forth. Um, and so I'm here at the conference, both as his attendant and also sitting in on some of the sessions. So that's how it worked out that I get to, get to join you this morning. <clears throat> and uh, I thought I'd talk a little bit about a theme that um, I've been teaching on recently. And that seems very central and relevant to both the path of practice and also just our our ordinary lives, our daily, daily lives. All of you have the the great fortune and the challenge of um, being householders and, and living in the world and, you know, coming to sort of unique Dhamma offerings like this, where you can come and sit as a Sangha and have a class with some teaching and engage a little bit, uh, and just trying to bring those, those values uh, of the Buddha's teachings into your life in a more integrated way. It's a very rare opportunity, I think, uh, to have that balance of um, kind of focused, silent practice in a setting like this, some study and learning, and going back into your life. So, all of my understanding of the of the teachings uh, and practices that the Buddha offered uh, are that they're very practical. The Buddha was interested in how we how we suffer uh, in so many ways, the stress that we experience. Uh, and how we can bring an end to that. And uh, so you find a, a wide range of skillful means in the suttas and, uh, and a wide range of, of, of perspectives on any topic, uh, which is why some of, the, some of the philosophical bits sometimes seem like they don't fit together because, as I'm sure you've heard or reflected, you know, the Buddha wasn't interested in creating a philosophy or some system, he was interested in helping people. And if we look at, if we look at the, uh, the motivation to teach, the very first thing that sort of moved the Buddha to teach, uh, I think there's something we can learn from that that's very relevant to our lives and to bringing the practice into our lives. Um, as I'm sure many of you know in the story of the Buddha's awakening, uh, after you know six years of very rigorous practice, you know, really, really applying himself to the core, um, and he finally has this shift and, and this insight uh, about his mortifi- self-mortification practices. Um, you, many of you are familiar, right, with the story of the Buddha's enlightenment. So, 
you know, so first that moment is, is, seems significant when Sujata offers the milk rice and he takes some food because he's so emaciated and weak. Uh, it comes from a human connection. That moment of insight comes from an offering of generosity from another being. It wasn't something he came to only on his own. It was through relationship. It was because somebody was moved. Somebody, you know, actually saw this being, as the story goes, in a ditch, right? So weak. And she was apparently, you know, she was bringing the milk rice to offer to the local shrine, right? To pay homage to the local deities. So she was actually breaking with tradition, with what her duty was, in response to the moment, to the very real suffering of this person. And then out of that, the Buddha sort of saw, you know, probably we can surmise the, the purity and the goodness in her intention, recognized that what he had been doing wasn't working, wasn't taking him where he wanted to go, and so, and so he accepted it. He accepted that nourishment. And that came out of this movement of the heart, this very spontaneous movement of the heart, from another being. And it also seems significant from a woman, right? From which we can understand in a variety of ways, but, you know, the mothering, the feminine, that which embraces. So there's this, there's, you know, we can look at it archetypically and, and, and recognize, you know, the ascetic self-mortification practices, generally sort of very masculine energy. And then this, this softness comes in, this nourishment So then as the story goes, the Buddha applies himself the night of the awakening, the three watches. I won't go through all that. Many of you know it. And then has this profound realization. And then the story goes that he's contemplating what he's understood. And it's, we hear a lot about... Um, the reflections on the Dhamma as, um, as only way I'll remember it is say it in Pali first. And so it's Swakato Dhammo Bhagavato E Sanditiko Sanditiko Akaliko E Hipasiko Opanaiko Pachatangwe Ditabo Inuhiti. So Sanditiko, apparent here and now, Akaliko, timeless. Ehipasiko, look, like take a look, it's right here. Opanaiko, leading onwards, relevant, applicable. And then Pachatangweditabo, to be realized individually by the wise for each, one, each and every one of us to be realized in ourselves. So this is the epithet, the reflection on the Dhamma that we usually hear. But there are other phrases in the suttas that get repeated often on the Dhamma that we don't hear so much, like the difficult to see, the subtle. Right? We don't, that's not proclaimed <laughs> because it's, you know, it's perhaps not as inspiring, but that's the truth. And the Buddha said, you know, this is very diff profound, difficult to see, the subtle, you know. So the Buddha considered that and realized, gosh, people probably aren't going to get this, <laughs> you know, just, just to be here non-identification, non-attachment. It's not something people want to hear. 
So his initial response was to not teach, right? And then again, as the story goes, this divine presence opens up within him, Brahma Sahampati. And this is the, the next moment I want to I wanna talk about. And Brahma Sahampati, you know, sees in some way that the Buddha is not going to teach. And you can understand this in whatever way you like as, you know, whether, depending on your views around the Buddhist cosmology, whether this is actually some kind of being of another order or whether it's to be interpreted more metaphorically or archetypically, right, as sort of some other dimension of consciousness, perhaps, sort of a broader dimension of consciousness that, that kind of <laughs> dawned in the Buddha's mind, recognizing that intention to not teach. And, and this, this being or this consciousness said, ask the Buddha, you know, out of compassion, out of empathy, please, teach. You know, there are beings, right, with but little dust on their eyes. We've all heard that phrase, out of empathy. And the word is empathy. It's not compassion. So the word for compassion is karuna, right, from the Brahma Viharas. And the, the word in, in Brahma Sahampati's beseeching of the Buddha is anukampa. Anukampa. And anu means with, together with. And kampa means to tremble, to tremble or to resonate. So, trembling with, resonating in the presence of, so that, that capacity of the heart to feel what another feels, which we know as empathy. So, Brahma Sahampati gets down on one knee and says, please, out of empathy for living beings, teach. Teach what you know. And this is what motivates the Buddha to teach. This movement of empathy, care, for the suffering of others. So again, this relational peace. And then if we look at the life of the Buddha, we see for 45 years, he didn't, he didn't err from that mission, from that motivation. All of his actions, all of his words, all of his wanderings were geared towards relieving the suffering of others, responding to what was needed out of the spirit of empathy. There's a story I heard recently uh, about a sutta. I haven't read it myself, but I was, I was quite moved by it where, you know, the Buddha sees with, his, with the power of his mind that there's this um, uh, farmer who's ripe for awakening and uh, wants to offer teachings. So he travels a long distance to go there and the meal's offered, and he's there with all of the monks, and this particular farmer hasn't come yet, and uh, the meal's done, and all of the cleaning is done, and everyone's waiting for a desana for teaching, and the Buddha just sits there, waits, because the, this, this one particular farmer hasn't arrived yet. And then they say, please, you know, Bhagavad, uh, teach, and, you know, he says, wait, wait, wait. Waits for quite a while, and finally the farmer comes, and then he asks that the, the lay people, is there any food left over? And they said, yes, said, please you know, give him some food. Let him eat. And he waits. And then, you know, finally, after this, after this you know, poor farmer is not a dignitary. I think there's probably a king there at the same time. I might be embellishing, but you get the sense that there's a lot of people sort of ready, waiting. And... Uh, and out of this care, out of this empathy for this one being who he sees is ready, he waits and he waits and he waits. He makes sure he has food. 
and he's ready, and comes and then he teaches. So I want to I want to connect this this kind of core intention, this core motivation in the Buddhist teachings to our own lives, in uh, in recognizing, you know, how important are other people in our own lives? How much impact do they have on us, for better or for worse? Right? There's a you know beautiful, very deep teaching in the Tibetan tradition. Uh, around letting go of self-centeredness, the, the lojong mind trainings, which some of you might be familiar with, on cherishing other beings, recognizing that they're the source of all of our happiness. And I think if, if we take a moment and just reflect, and we think about the things that have been the most joyful in your life, brought you the most happiness, Know, for me, they, they generally involve other people. Whether it's whether it's giving or sharing or some kind of uh, connection to another person, or just simply sharing or appreciating something in the presence of another person, right? So it's it's just kind of fundamental to to our whole biology. This sense of relatedness. This is, this is a, a very important theme for me in my own practice uh, because it seems to balance a lot of a lot of the tendencies and what I consider misinterpretations or misperceptions of some of the teachings and practices as uh, uh, cutting off, cutting off our relational sense, because the whole you know the whole path and a lot of the emphasis in the to the monks in the suttas is on uh, solitude, seclusion, renunciation. So you know, as lay people, it can be very easy to sort of interpret that and think, oh well, I shouldn't be social or I shouldn't put too much emphasis on relationship because it's impermanent and it's it's not ultimately not going to satisfy me, or things like this. Um, but if you end up there and you think, well, but then why was the Buddha teaching? He was teaching how to care for other people, so how do those fit together? Uh, and if you look at the whole structure, the whole architecture of the Buddha's teachings, it starts with empathy, it starts with relationship. The teachings begin with teaching dana, right? Which is generosity, which is about what it feels like to be in relationship. The Buddha is saying, notice what it feels like when you give. Notice what it feels like when you share. That's the first place to investigate in the teachings. What is it like? Because we have to let go to give something. Even if it's something little, we have to let go some. And if you've ever given something that is a bit of a stretch to give, whether it's financial resources or time or some kind of personal cherished belonging that you want to give to someone, but it's also it's a part of you that wants to hold on to it. It, it takes some doing to let go in that way. 
So he said, look there, notice what it feels like to be connected, to be in relationship, to see the, the, the humanity of another being just, just as your own. And then from there it moves on to sila. And the Buddha says, okay, you know, if you see, is that a good thing? Is that helpful? Is that beneficial to give, to share, to open your heart and let go in that way? And we look and say, yeah, it feels good. It's helpful. Value that. Okay. So then the Buddha said, okay, good. Well, you know, take that as a, as a, as, um, as a guiding as a guiding force in your life. Take that sense of to others as to myself, which is the, the ethical principle behind all sila, is to not do harm, the sense of care and concern. As hiri otapa is the Pali, the sense of conscience and concern for the well-being of others and our own well-being. Right? So the Buddha says, take that then, and, and, and here's a frame, and he gives a frame of the five precepts. And he says, try living within this frame and notice what happens. Investigate every time you want to go and do something outside of that. Look at your mind to find out what's, what's going on. What's that doing to me? What's that doing to others? Do I want to continue these kinds of impulses and actions? Do I want to reinforce this? What's it like to put that down? What's it like to say, no, I, I'm bigger than this. I'm better than that. I don't need to go there. I, have, I value something stronger, more beautiful, deeper, clearer, and let yourself live into that. So, oh, okay, that's, that's good. That feels good. So, and again, it's based on relationship. So, and then it's only then, after really cultivating this sense of, of feeling our connection with one another, that the Buddha would teach meditation, bhavana, mental cultivation. So it's coming out of a context of relatedness. It's also important to recognize that the, the cultural context in ancient India was one of very deep, very strong community, family, social ties, right? Which still persist in many Asian cultures today. This, this sense of the group and of um, filial filial love and duty and respect for elders is embedded in the culture. So there's a very strong um, sense of identity with the group, very strong sense of belonging, which, you know, for, for most, most white cultures, at least in the West, has been, has been eroded. You know, certain ethnic cultures here in the West tends to be a bit more of a stronger family, community, community feeling. So the teachings on seclusion, solitude, are coming within a context of deep rootedness in community, family, relationship. So it's important to keep that in mind, the context of those teachings. So other people, so getting back to this in our lives, how important are other people? We look and we say, yeah. A lot of our joys and happinesses and blessings are in relation to others. And our pain, right? We look at our pain, the wounding that each of us carries, you know, from various experiences. Um, the loss, disappointment, anger, resentment, they're all in relation to other people, right? And you look at just how we live and think, I couldn't get born without other people. 
Can't grow up without other people. Can't learn without other people. Food, clothes, shelter, energy, other people, right? We need other, we need each other. So what does it mean to be uh, on a path of awakening, practicing the teachings of the Buddha, and living in the world and having relationships with other people? How do those fit together? Are they separate? Are they at odds? What does it mean that the, you know, as it's come, as it's come down to us today, what's held up as the, cent- the centerpiece of the Buddha's teachings is this. Sitting silently in meditation. What does that do? We have these, these beautiful, lovely images of the Kuan Yin and the Buddha Rupa uh, that have profound meaning, for me at least, and, and, and inspiration and represent so much. Uh, but, you know, I find that it, it can sort of reinforce a sense of alienation or isolation, right? Well, the cause of suffering is here, so inside, so I need to work this out on my own, and uh, you're born alone, you die alone, and no one else can walk the path for you, and so uh, everyone's ultimately going to let me down or, or die or leave, so, you know, you get pretty grim. <laughs> so I better just keep sitting or do another retreat. <laughs> and then maybe I'll have some big opening or awakening, and finally the rest of this junk will work itself out, and I'll be able to get along with other people. <laughs> They'll stop annoying me, irritating me. Anybody get there yet? (laughs) You know, working on it, right, working on it. So, um, it's not that, it's not that those things aren't useful or, or in some sense, in some some sense, essential to the path, but they're not the whole thing. And for me, they need to be placed within a context. And that context is relationship. It's recognizing that to be on the planet means to be in relationship. You know? It's, it's easy to forget that in the worlds that we've created for ourselves. Worlds of straight lines and uh, lights that are on at any hour of the day worlds of screens and buttons that do what we want. You walk outside and everything's different. There are no straight lines. There are no points. Things, things expand and contract and ebb and flow. Right? They're unpredictable. They're gnarled. But it's all beautiful. It's just the way it is. You know? You don't look at a tree and say, that branch really should have grown that way. It's, you know, or that leaf's only got four points. All the others have five. What's going on there? It just 
just beautiful the way it is in all of its imperfection and weirdness and crookedness. And then, and then we realize that this whole body is part of that, that we're, we're part of this whole living, breathing system. We're in relationship with it, with the wind, with the water, with the trees, with the birds, and, and we feel it all. We're touched by it, and we touch it, right? That's, that's waking up. That's being here, right? So the Dhamma is here, apparent here and now. It's not somewhere else. Here and now is, is, as we experience it, a field of relationship, a field of touching and being touched, affecting and being affected. So this is the domain of what's called the citta, or the heart, the heart-mind in the Buddhist psychology. And uh, the citta is said to be uh, governed by or, or the domain of feeling and perception, feeling, tone, and perception. This is, these are the two primary uh, aspects of experience that occupy the citta. So it's what registers felt meaning in our experience, the heart. So something happens, some object comes in through the senses or through the mind, and the sense doors don't experience, most of the sense doors don't experience feeling tone. So the eye doesn't, doesn't, see, th- doesn't see pleasant or unpleasant. The eye just sees color and form. Same thing with the nose or the tongue. The body feels pleasant and unpleasant, and the heart feels pleasant and unpleasant. So the eye just sees form, and then, and then the mind recognizes it as beautiful or not beautiful or in between, and registers that sense of pleasant or unpleasant. So the feeling tone registers in the heart. And then the perceptions, the meanings. She's friendly. Oh, he's interesting. Or, uh, you know, oh, this is oppressive. You know, fluorescent lights, safe, um, interesting, attractive, uncertain, um, awesome, all of these felt meanings, these perceptions. The perceptions, how we structure reality, how our mind structures reality based on past experience and memory and puts little categories and meanings on things. So I know what that is. It's a chair. You sit on it, right? That's a glass of water. I know what that's for. It's for drinking. So these are all perceptions that the mind sort of assigns to the various sense data that's coming in to make sense of our reality and navigate. So why am I talking about this? We were talking about empathy and relationship. We went off on a tangent. Well, it's actually very connected because this is where we experience the sense of being affected and touched by others is in the heart, in the citta, where we experience the sense of pleasure or displeasure, agreeable or disagreeable. I didn't like that person. I didn't like that thing he said to me. Ugh. Right? Or the perceptions of, you know, oh, isn't he lovely? Isn't he sweet? Or, um, you know, gosh, she's so arrogant. Those perceptions register in the heart. So we start to come into the fe- our awareness of the field of relationship with other humans. That's a lot of the domain, a lot of the territory we're going to be dealing with and, um, and navigating 
is feelings and perceptions, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, and all of the meanings we associate with things. All that is registered and felt in the body. So the body can be a ground, which is why it's the first foundation of mindfulness, because it, it provides a context, it provides a, a firm, stable basis for awareness, because it's so tangible, it's so here. It does, the body doesn't go into the future, you know, and, uh, and it doesn't have that ability to trick us like the mind. It's very, very tangible, it's very steady, so we can use the body to digest and uh, handle what comes up in the heart and use the body as sort of a container to uh, to awaken to what's what our experience is. So, context of relationship as fundamental to being human. A value for empathy as a starting place for the teachings. Recognizing our relatedness and sensing, sensing the beauty, the uplift, the good, the sort of the, the goodness and, and the nourishment of, of, of an open heart that's caring, right? And then, and so, and then saying, so, so now how do, we, then how do we work with relationship? How do we work with relationship? All of these feelings and perceptions that arise in relation to others, things that are said, things that are done, So I want to offer three tools for you to consider in working with your relationships that can um, deepen the connections that I can only guess you're already making between your practice and your life. Okay. So three tools. Just bookmark that, and I'm going to just go off on a tangent for a second. <laughs> um, it's not really a tangent. So, so the first is just to connect very explicitly the sitting practice with, with our living in the world and relationship. We sit a lot at the monastery where I stay in Canada. I mean, it's not like being in a Burmese monastery where it's all that you're doing, but every morning and evening at least, you're sitting for an hour in the morning, an hour in the evening for puja, and then practice some during the day. And then there are other periods where we might sit up till midnight, you know, every other week, things like this. So get to kind of really see all the stuff the mind does and what works. And... 
anyone who's been on a long retreat, you, you get the same, same experience, I think, and insight into recognizing that, you know, we're really not in control of what goes on. And, you know, even if we have some propensity towards concentration, you, you can't quite make your mind <laughs> to do it. Certainly not all the time. But, uh, but you can bring forth empathy. You can bring forth a willingness to be present. You can bring forth a quality of care and interest, regardless of what's happening. And that can be a refuge. Some of the best, sitting, best sittings I've had, and I say best meaning where there's a sense of, of, of uh, peace. And not best in the sense of pleasant, but best in the sense of like, like alignment with the teachings. That, that sense of like, you know, practice is unfolding here. Not I'm practicing, I'm doing it right, but like, you know, really just resting into the practice. Things are in balance. All of the factors coming into balance have nothing to do with what's happening in, in the content of my experience. Whether my mind is sleepy or agitated or tired or concentrated, it has to do with the quality of intention and presence in the heart. And this willingness to just be here. Just completely let go of the sense of time, whether I'm sitting for 20 minutes or an hour or who knows what. It's just, just one moment. And to just, just this unflinching, complete surrender and willingness to meet that moment, whatever arises with care and presence and say, okay, right? So in our sitting practice, we meet what arises, relationship, right? Relationship in the sense of there's a meeting and in that meeting, a quality of intention can arise. So one of the things that we can we can cultivate in our sitting practice if we begin to notice that and bring awareness to it is this quality of intention and presence. Recognizing that as we sit, in addition to all of the sort of skill, uh, you know, skillful investigation we're doing, stability and concentration that may be cultivated, we're also cultivating a certain intention to simply be here, to be present, to allow experience, to meet it with a caring, open heart. And then we can bring that experience, that taste of embodied presence, open-hearted willingness to bear with discomfort into our relationships. Okay. So the tools, the three tools that I want to I want to uh, point to. So the first is just presence. Presence. And the, 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 the most... Uh, the simplest and most direct way that I return to this and want to offer as a pointer to this is what it's like to just walk outside. You know? When we stop, when we stop all the, what I'm going to do next, I get to my car, and don't forget to call that person, and when I get home, I'm going to cook that for lunch, and make sure I 
you know, let the dog out or whatever, and just stop and wake up. I was like, oh, I'm alive here, feeling the wind, presence, just being in the body, alert, receptive, receptive, feeling, touching and being touched, touching and being touched. That's presence. It's incredibly vulnerable. You know, but we have conditions like this where we're here in a peaceful, quiet place, surrounded by nature, surrounded by like-minded people who are living by ethical standards. It's safe to do that. It's safe to touch that. So why is that important in relationship? Well, if you want to talk to somebody, if you want to actually have a connection with somebody, if you want to work something out with somebody, you need to be here. If you're not here, good luck. So you got to land in yourself first. You have to be present. Not in the sense of some like, am I present? Am I present? In the sense of presence. In that sense of feeling your aliveness. Actually embodying, inhabiting your space. Fully inhabiting your space. Conscious embodiment. Conscious presence. Okay. So take a moment just now, if you like, if you're not already. You don't need to change how you're sitting, but just allow your awareness to kind of sort of permeate your body. Just fill your body. Not by doing anything, but just by listening. Just listening. Feeling. Hmm. You can imagine you're sitting in a, in a hot bath. Or in Hawaii and feeling that hot, moist air around you, where the whole body kind of everything, every hair, every follicle, every pore just wakes up. Ching. Like that. Or you've just gotten out of a sauna and the air is cool outside and the whole body's open. That feeling. Just to tune into that. This is, this is presence. This is, this is the capacity of, of the human organism, just in and of itself, is to sense, to receive. So train in that. Allow time in your practice, in your life, in whatever way works for you, to train in that, to train in presence. Whether you take that into your sitting, or whether you, you take that in other ways, when you take a walk, when you do your yoga, whatever you do, find something that lets you touch this place and train in it again and again. Come back to it. All right, here. All right, here. Not in a, not in a cognitive way, not in a mental way, but in a felt sense. Just like, right, have have body right now. Not always going to be that way going to have to let go of it someday. Could be sooner than I like, you know. When you're with someone you care for, who you're on good terms with, practice training and touching this place of presence. Oh, this is what it's like to be here now. In, in your presence. Feel it, let yourself drop into that sense. <clears throat> 
There's no way I'm going to get through all three tools. Because <laughs> 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 so I want to do a practice together. I want to do a relational practice together. So the next is intention. Intention. And this is, this is empathy. This is where empathy starts to arise. So we could understand, I'm just going to kind of play here a little bit, we could understand the Buddha's awakening and say that the Buddha awakened to, pres- to pure presence, to, you know, un- unmediated, unconditioned, unbounded presence with no obscurations, right? His mind was totally and completely purified of all of the forces and conditionings and obsessions and preoccupations and confusions that, cl- that cloud our minds, pure presence. Out of that pure presence and knowing came intention, empathy, care, recognizing the relational field. So cultivate an intention of care. And this is, this is more about kind of a broad... warm receptivity of the heart than a specific uh, directing of the heart as in cultivating metta or mudita. Those are subsets of the capacity of the heart to feel. Anukampa, empathy, is the capacity of the heart to, to resonate. And then depending on the circumstances, that resonance takes on various tonalities of goodwill, of compassion, of joy and celebration, or balance. So tune into just the just the resonance, the capacity to um, to feel with that sense of warmth and care, empathy, cultivate an intention of empathy. For me, one of the most tangible ways to do this is by framing it as an intention to understand. an intention to understand, to really understand. Like when I'm struggling with something internally, so anxiety is a big one for me. I have a lot of conditioning around anxiety, just doing lists, tracking, making sure everything's okay, that kind of hypervigilance. So my mind just does that. It's great too, because I can get a lot done. But then sometimes I, I can't fall asleep at night, you know, or I'm sitting and the mind's kind of doing that thing where it's like, okay, after you sit, don't forget to do this. And then I used to, I used to be able to memorize lines, so I have systems for like how to remember things. So my mind starts to just like, God, give me a break, you know? <laughs> so when that's happening, when that's happening, instead of trying to fix it, instead of trying to make it go away, instead of hating it or beating myself up about it, and you know, all those various reactions that take it to be self and then want it to go away, you know, that whole mess, just put all that down. Okay, this is what's happening. I'm here. What's this like? How's this feel? Intention to understand. Not to change it or fix it, but just to meet it, just to understand it. To say, okay, Nyaniko, what's this like? Can I just understand this? How is this? How is this? Hmm. And then the experience is different. Because then there's that willingness to just meet experience as it is. So an intention to understand. The last tool is a training in attention. Just training our attention 
to, um, to be aware of different things in our relationships. Be aware of our feelings. Just to notice pleasant and unpleasant and neutral in our interactions. And then notice the pull and the forces that notice our perceptions. Notice the meanings that our mind creates, the interpretations that arise, the judgments that arise based on the slightest thing. And then this whole story gets created, this whole image gets created based on a perception. It's just, just, ding, just this little memory lights up in the mind. Oh, he's one of those, right? Notice that. Train your attention to notice different aspects of experience. You can train in forms like nonviolent communication, which is one of the things that I do, to refine your perception, to refine your attention, to really break down the aspects of experience and notice how we're getting caught up in our relationships. So presence, touching and being touched. Intention, a heart that cares, is interested in understanding. Attention, noticing aspects and components of your experience. So I want to do a brief exercise together. If you're willing, you don't have to. You can, you can just sit and contemplate or look out the window, whatever you like. Um, but to just get a taste of at least the first two tools of presence and, and, and bringing forth an intention. And just, just to say, just to recognize, you know, that these are, these are innate. These are innate, and so I'm not teaching you something new. I don't see it that way. I'm more just pointing, just kind of reminding us of something we all do naturally and that many of you probably do already a lot of the time. But when we bring our attention to it and identify it and say, yeah, that's good, that's useful, then it can grow. We can support it. So what we're going to do is um, you work with a partner, and one person will share a little bit just listen first. Don't worry about figuring things out. Um, something that's happened in the last couple weeks that had an impact on you emotionally, positive or negative. On a scale of 1 to 10, choose like a 5. Nothing, nothing too intense. You know, the best thing, oh my God. Or like, you know, I think I'm going to need a lot of therapy to get through this. No, 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 no. Don't go there. We're just trying to learn something. Just learn a tool. So choose something easy. Just something that registered, that felt, felt really good. Oh, that was nice. Or eh, it was kind of a little irritating. I didn't really enjoy that so much. Okay? So just take a moment now and think about an incident, something you can share in a minute or two. It's not some long story. Something you can share in a minute or two. Just what comes to mind. Doesn't need to be the perfect example. Anyone need more time? Okay, good. I haven't given instructions yet to do anything. I've just said, just, just wait. Yeah, yeah. That's great how eager you are. It's lovely. So willing to learn and experiment. Just, just choose your situation. So now, here are the instructions. Don't do it yet. Just listen. I'll demonstrate it. One person's going to share their story. Oh, this thing happened the other day. I'll ring the bell. You're going to stop. Now, while that person's speaking, the listener, you're going to be 
practicing two things. If that feels like too much, just practice one. <laughs> First, just try to be pre- try to try to inhabit your body. Try to just f- just feel your body and just sense like we're here in the room together. That's the first thing. The second thing is try to have an intention to understand. So don't get pulled into the story. Don't get pulled into the contents, trying to figure it out, ask a question, give them a solution. Just listen and focus your attention with a question internally. Hold this question in your mind. What really matters to this person about this? What, what really matters? Why did, this, why, why, are they, why did this stick in their mind, you know? What really matters? With that sense of wanting to understand. Just wanting to understand their heart. What really matters to you about this? So you're going to listen with that intention, that kind of caring interest, and just listen in that. Think you got it? There's not going to be any dialogue. One person will share, the other person will listen. I'll ring the bell, we'll come back to silence. Take a few moments, I'll, re- I'll remind you of the instructions, we'll switch and do it again. Okay? Any questions about what I'm inviting us to do? <coughs> Completely voluntary, no shoulds here. Feel free to just Use the time as you, as you see fit, if this doesn't speak to you. Are you guys clear on what we'll be doing? Okay, so in silence, turn towards a partner. Find someone you can work with. And one person in each group, raise a hand. If you can, try to keep silence. So if one person in each group could raise your hand to volunteer to speak first. All right, so let's start by just taking a few moments, each person, to just center yourself in your body. Try to tune into that sense of natural presence. Natural presence. You don't have a partner? Do you want to work with me? Come on. Feeling your feet on the floor. Feeling the body sitting on the chair. If you can, let your eyes open, but keep them downcast so you're not looking around or looking at anything or anyone. And try to try to try to keep keep connected to your body a little bit. Try to keep in tune with that sense of presence. So listeners, stay in your heart. What really matters? Just try to hold that question, this caring interest, to just listen with this quality of intention. What really matters here? Just just wonder, just hold that question. And speakers, when you hear the bell, you'll share for, you'll have about two minutes to just share a little bit about this incident, this story. And for yourself, speakers, if you like, see if you can maintain some continuity of connection with your embodied awareness, your sense of presence. 
when you're ready, you can begin. So just coming back to silence. So now I'm going to spring something on you. So listeners, I'm going to invite you to ask your speaker one question. You're going to ask them a question about what you think might matter to them. Very brief, one sentence, not a whole paragraph. Speakers, you're not going to respond at all. You're done speaking. You're just going to receive that question and just see what it's like to hear it. So you've been listening with this question of what really matters, and now you're just going to take a guess. You're just going to ask. You don't have to get it right. That's not what matters. What matters is your intention to understand. So trust that. Trust the purity of that. It might sound like this. Is what really matters to you here caring for your mother and wanting to maintain a good relationship? Is what really matters to you here having some sense of respect and consideration? Is what really matters to you here enjoying being alive? Underneath the story, underneath the topic, try to, try to see if you can get to the deeper universal value in the person's heart. Don't have to get it right. That's not what this is about. So one, one question, just one phrase, one sentence, is what really matters to you here this? Fill in the blank. So I'm putting you on the spot here. 
go ahead and ask that question. One question and then come back to silence. Remember, you're not responding, so as soon as the question comes, just come back to silence. Okay. So for each person, just notice how that felt. Notice how it felt to be listened to in that way. Notice how it felt to hear the question. Notice how it felt to listen in that way and to ask that question. Presence, intention, touching and being touched. Okay, so we're going to switch roles now. So if you were just speaking, you'll now get to practice listening in this way. So come back to a sense of presence, both people, feeling the body, tuning into your skin, the space around you, relaxing, opening. Speakers, you'll have two minutes. Listeners, just hold this question in your mind, in your heart. What really matters? Underneath the story, underneath the topics, what's most important to this person? Begin when you want. So just stop where you are, even if you haven't gotten through the whole story. 
listeners dropping into your heart. Don't think about it too much. Just listen inwardly. You don't have to get it right. What really matters? From what you heard, what matters in this person's heart? And you're just going to ask one question. Speakers don't respond. You know, try to, try to restrain that impulse. Is what really matters here just appreciating the beauty in life? So go ahead and ask that question when you're ready, and then come back to silence. One sentence, not a whole paragraph. (laughs) So coming back to silence when you finish your sentence, your question. For each person, notice how that was. Notice how it was to be listened to in this way. And notice how it was to listen in that way with this particular focus of intention. How did that feel? What did you learn? And how did it feel to ask that question? So normally, doing an exercise like this, I would then take about another five minutes for each person to talk a little bit and share in the small group. But I want to have enough time for all of us to talk some, so what I'm going to suggest is that We silently thank and acknowledge our partner. And if you want to connect more about your dyad, after we finish the class, you can hang out and talk more. But let's come back together into the large group, and we can shift gears to discussion. So... What did you notice? What did you learn? How, how was that? What did you find? Any questions, challenges, insights, explorations? And let's start with just this exercise. We'll do, take a few minutes for this, and then I'll open it up. And if you have other questions you'd like to ask about the reflections I offered or anything else practice-related, we can have some time for that as well. But let's just take the first few minutes for this, this particular exercise we did. What's your name? Diane. I noticed that I chose a five mm. feeling event. Yep. And the minute I started talking, it became a ten. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I didn't realize. That's, I hadn't known. Yeah. Mm, yeah. That it was a ten. Yes. It's powerful, isn't it, when there's someone listening? It gives our heart the space to actually feel what's present. Thank you. Thank you, Diane. 
I saw a lot of heads nodding. You couldn't see it because you're up front when you said that. A lot of people kind of, whoa, oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah. I noticed it was much easier for me to stay present and sort of listening than speaking. Yes. So it's really easy to like yeah. be somewhere completely not here right. when speaking. How many people found that to be true? Easier to stay present when you were listening than when speaking. Anyone find the reverse true? It was easier to stay present speaking. It tends to be that way for most for most people. Yeah. Other reflections, experiences, MM? Yeah, I was um, when I when I the person asked the question for me, the, what came out of their mouth was not what I was expecting to hear. Mm-hmm. And and I noticed like some anxiety mm. in <laughs> what I was hearing. <laughs> mm-hmm. And and at the same time it just made me see how much uh, being in relationship can really sort of take take you out of your bubble or, or mm. really yeah. how, how much more sensitive or maybe influenceable. Uh, you know what I mean? It's like yeah. Yeah. How touch you. yeah, yeah. Thank you. And your name? I noticed that my intention was to talk about something that was positive, but it was so short that I switched it to something that would be juicier because two minutes is a long time. So that was not positive. Yes. So true. It's it's sad, isn't it? We can go on and on about the things that we don't like. But try to fill two minutes with something that went well, and it's like, yeah, that happened. It was pretty good. You know, that's a training. It's actually a training. I've done some work in somatic experiencing for healing trauma, and one of the one of the primary tools in in stabilizing uh, a nervous system that has been disrupted through trauma. Um, after reestablishing a sense of orientation in the present, is uh, is learning to deepen in the experience of pleasure, healthy pleasure, learning to really take it in and allow ourselves to be nourished by it. That's why samadhi is so important, because the system gets to enjoy and relax in a way that's not dependent on sense pleasure. Yeah. So I want to just open it wide up now to we can continue on this theme um, or, or other things. I'm curious what it was like for people when you were speaking to, to, to be listened to and to receive the question. Just maybe a few comments on that. I know I just had to open it up, but I would love to hear how was that to have the other person listening and to receive the question? We heard a couple of comments on it. Anyone else want to reflect on that experience? Yeah. Um, it's very touching. I think it's very powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And the emotional connection yeah. is so immediate. Yeah. Someone completely unknown to you. Yeah. When there's no agenda. Yeah. <coughs> Other people find that it's just pretty strong. Pretty strong, palpable. This is one of the gifts that we have as humans to offer one another in this relational field, this empathy, 
This is what caused the Buddha to teach. This spirit of care, of just recognizing like, it's hard. It's hard to be alive, you know? We're all struggling to get through it and do the best we can. You know, and the whole, I don't need to go through the list of the definition of dukkha, you know? We know, we know it. It's, it's not easy. So, so we, can, we can reach, we can extend, we can, with our hearts. And, and we feel it, and we feel that. So offering the present of our presence. I think understanding in advance that the listener is listening for what really matters mm-hmm. establishes a safety and trust yeah. that's yeah. big. Yeah, sadhu. Yeah, you know, one of the it's, it's it is it's primed that way, and it's it helps. And one of my one of the favorite tools that I learned in nonviolent communication around that uh, that's it's been really helpful in some of my family relationships where some of the entanglements and codependence can be really strong is being able to sit down and say, you know, I have a lot of, a lot of talks with my dad, and to be able to say, you know, uh, I, really just, I really just want to share what's going on right now, and what, what would mean the most right now is to just have you listen. And if you have ideas or questions or suggestions later, I'm really, really happy to hear that, you know. But for just right now, to just have you listen and hear me would, would be the most meaningful. And he loves it. <laughs> because, you know, because then he, then he knows, oh, this is, this is what's going to contribute to you, which is all he really wants, is to love me and contribute. So I tell him how. I say, well, right now, this is how. And then I respect you, and you have a lot of life experience I don't have, so I want to learn from you, and we can do that later. But if we do it, if, it's like putting the cart before the horse. If we try to do that first, because I haven't really gotten to feel heard and connect with you. So we can do that for ourselves by asking. Yeah. So this is bringing our practice into our life. This is bringing our practice into our relationships. That same quality of presence, of acceptance, of, of warm-hearted interest and care. Come into presence in, in the presence of another. Bring forth that intention. Put the agendas down and just that willingness to show up and listen and receive experience, whether it's experience internally or externally. Right? There's that refrain in the Satipatthana Sutta, internally, externally, and both internally and externally. We can train in this way. Yeah. Please remind me what Sandhi. Samadhi. Samadhi is unification of mind, collectedness of mind. Samadhi. Yeah, it's, it's uh, a core training in, in the mental cultivation and meditation. It's often translated concentration, but that has more of a willful connotation. It's much more a sense of the mind kind of coming together naturally on its own. You're welcome. Thank you for asking. Important question. So it's 11. If anyone needs to leave right at 11, now would be your... Your exit. We can. We can. I don't have anything happening, so I'm happy to stay for a few more minutes. If there are other questions, we can go over five minutes. Yes. Yes. My name's Nyaniko. It's spelled uh, 
There are different ways you can spell it, but N, because it's a poly name, it's not, a, it's not an American name. My teacher gave me, gave me the name N-Y-A-N-I-K-O, Nyaniko, like Nyana or like Manana. The first one's the meaning, the second one's the sound. It's not related to the word manana at all, but it's the sound's the same, manana, nyaniko. So, I teach, with, I teach with Donald. We teach wise speech classes and retreats together. So we just did a seven-day retreat that Pat was at in Berkeley, so you can ask her about that. Uh, and next summer we're teaching, um, we're teaching a seven-day retreat here in June next summer on wise speech. So we do, so this is some of the foundation but we, we do sort of, you know, kind of standard training in metta and vipassana. So there's a lot of silent practice. But then we also do training in um, the ethical guidelines for wise speech. Uh, these kinds of relational practices we did today and nonviolent communication. And we integrate them all together. It's quite, quite lovely. We've been teaching it for going on three years now. Uh, and I'll probably be back. I, I stayed in monastery in Canada right now, but I'll probably be back next spring and summer teaching some. Teaching uh, here? Uh, well, the, the retreat here, but then I'll probably do some kind of like a course or, or group in Berkeley over the summer. On uh, I'll probably do, I might do like a, just a straight Dharma class and then something with speech, a couple of different things. So if, if you want, uh, if you're interested, give me your email address before you go, and I'll put you on my mailing list, and then you'll uh, hear about when I'll be around and Are so forth. Are you any day-longs here? I'm not on the schedule to, no, no. But you never know. could look into that. Yeah, it'll be next, next, next spring and summer that I'll be back, yeah. Great. Well, I'll be around for a little bit if anyone wants to connect or say hi or ask questions. So let's just take a few moments to dedicate the merit. And then Anne maybe might have an announcement. Oh, it's a great blessing to be able to actually have an intention to look within and make our hearts beautiful and clear. And it's a further blessing to have uh, other people who share that same vision and intention. And yet another blessing to actually have a space that supports that. Recognizing the the value and the uh, rareness and privilege of all of these blessings, let's not take this opportunity to cultivate our human life uh, for granted. And recognizing the deep caring and the deep longing for happiness that this intention comes out of. Bringing forth the wish, the desire to, to be a blessing to others. Our life may be a blessing. Our presence may be a blessing to others, directly and indirectly. So may all of the goodness, the purity, and the clarity of our intentions and coming together today 
May it go out far and wide for the benefit and the healing of this precious earth and all the beings on it. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.